0: And so that's where I came up with the idea of Recovery Elevator was to keep me accountable and add to my portfolio. Oh, like if nobody listened to my podcast except myself and my mom and I'm still sober a year later, like dude, I mean it's totally worth it.
1: It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. On episode 36 of
2: the Share Podcast, we have a special guest, Paul Churchill, the host and the founder of the Recovery Elevator Podcast. He's about to take us through his horrific battle with alcoholism and drugs, until today, where he holds himself accountable by committing to produce a weekly podcast every Monday on the Recovery Elevator Podcast. Join us now. But first, a message from our sponsor. <laughs> SoberNation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, SoberNation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.soberNation.com. SoberNation.com. Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. And if you're looking for more than just one recovery related podcast, I've got two for you The Recovery Elevator and That Sober Guy. On Mondays, you have Paul Churchill with the Recovery Elevator podcast. On Tuesdays, you have me, O, with the Share podcast. And on Fridays, you have Shane Raymer with the That Sober Guy podcast. Tune in every week and add us to your recovery portfolio. HP, baby. <laughs> And after this interview, if you enjoyed listening to The Share Podcast, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. This will ensure we get ranked well on these networks, and that means more people will easily find The Share Podcast. This is the best way to show your support and help us grow. You can also find The Share Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube. Go to any one of your favorite social networks and type in the SHARE Podcast. Remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R, and the SHARE Podcast will come right up. So make sure to follow us on all of your favorite social networks. And finally, if you would like to make a donation to the SHARE Podcast, you can do so using PayPal. The entire amount of your donation will go towards maintaining and growing the show. On the top right corner of the website, you'll see a donate button. Just click on it, and this will take you to the page where you can make your donation. By donating only $5 a month, you can help support, maintain and grow the show. Thanks again for helping the Share podcast become a huge success. Now back to the show. Hey Paul, thanks for joining us. Hey, oh, thanks for having me. All right, buddy. It's great to have you on the show. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. <laughs> Excellent. You ready to get started? Yes, sir. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay, folks, Today, we have a special guest appearing on The Share Podcast, Paul Churchill, the host and the founder of The Recovery Elevator. It's a very popular podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, so let's dive right in. Paul, tell us about how your life is today. Take us through your normal daily routine, including recovery, and tell us a little bit about The Recovery Elevator.
0: Yeah. Oh, first off, thanks for having me phenomenal podcast. Subject matter is something that we are both very passionate about. So how was my life today? Well on September 21st, 2015. It's okay, right? I'm not going to come on here and, and you know, oh gosh, it's freaking awesome because it's just okay right now. And we will get into that later. But majority, it's fantastic, right? If I were to take the whole year, it's been fantastic. And I can attribute that to to one thing that would that would be sobriety i just hit one year of sobriety on september 7th 2015 so yeah 2014 september 7th was my last drink and as a whole you know after i got to like three four five six months man shit just started to get better and it it was in it was incredible (laughs) yeah what a surprise yeah no kidding so (laughs) So hobbies, just go to this stuff real quick. I'm, dude. I'm I'm 33 years old. I live in Bozeman, Montana. I'm your average Joe, right? I've got a dog. We go on a lot of hikes. Um, you, you know, I I I like to work out. I am social. I like music. You know, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I like to think of a lot of fun business ideas. Most of them don't work. You know, and I'm I'm just just trying to do it right and and maintain. A life where like last summer, I didn't even know if I'd be around and that is where I had to get away from and that's where the whole podcast, the recovery elevator came from. It is a podcast to create accountability and that was key in my sobriety and accountability is basically the pillar of my sobriety which got me to a year because I woke up in the morning hundreds of times. I'm sure listeners out there can listen to the similarities of me saying that. I would wake up hundreds of times and say, I am done drinking for the rest of my life because, A, my head is pounding. B, I don't know where I, what happened the last four days, three days or whatever. So I'm done drinking and make this positive affirmation that I am done. But then five hours later, six, seven, eight hours later that night, not only am I drinking, I'm shit faced and on that train to not being able to stop, and so that is where the Recovery Elevator podcast came from. Is like, look, I need more help to quit drinking. I simply couldn't stop last summer. Oh, I, I just couldn't. So I started this podcast. It was kind of a crazy experiment, as you talk out about you know the uh, the percentages of staying sober. But you know, here I am, one year and, and almost two weeks later sober.
2: (laughs) Well, and like I I mentioned to you earlier, it's very bold, very brazen, you know, took a big risk starting a podcast in your first year in recovery. They always tell you, don't make any big changes in your first year of recovery. And I would say that, you know, starting a podcast is big. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll tell you what, man, it's worked for you, you know, because here you are a year later, clean and sober. You know, a lot of it has to do with that has to do with the podcast and that's freaking awesome i just i love it you know you've got a great thing going over there and more importantly you're doing service you're carrying the message
0: I thank you oh and i agree with you that you know you don't want to do anything big in your first year of recovery and i've heeded that advice for the most part but i knew what was going to happen in my life when i got four months or five months or six months of sobriety and things get really busy it, it, because my recovery I'd be like you know what I think I got this right Shit's shit's going pretty good I'm right. losing weight. you know like I, I, you girls are talking to me again like wow I got this and then I would just maybe go to one meeting less a week or do one less activity my recovery a week but recovery elevator has forced me I made a commitment on the podcast that anybody can hear I will make I will put out 52 episodes coming out every Monday and that has forced forced me regardless if I'm busy as all can be I still have to put out a podcast episode and I, I made it real clear oh I said look you know the percentages are you know like you just said one or we talked before like one out of ten people make it the first year that's ten percent I'm gonna look like a floozy if I drink <laughs> but whatever I said like you know I'm recovery elevator podcast 26 I'm drunk see you later like I would still do the podcast but it's worked man and and, and everybody's program is different right everybody's program is
2: different absolutely absolutely now i've got you on facebook so I've, you know I, you know follow you on facebook and tell me about the labradoodle what's the deal with your <laughs> labradoodle man seriously oh you okay one, huh?
0: <laughs> you, you, you already have your mind blown here first tell off me. oh you know we don't have toucans and a bunch of cool exotic monkeys up here in montana so <laughs> i got the next best thing and the thing with a labradoodle, it's only like fifty percent that it won't shed, and I'm allergic to everything that sheds, especially horses that are on a farm. So I went into full poodle.
2: Oh, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean full poodle? It's not a labradoodle. It's, That's it's a just poodle. Full,
0: full poodle, my man. He's like he's like seventy five pounds, and he's doing my best. Bud, I'm thirty three i'm single i'm focused on my recovery and ben he's, he's got a name obviously He's named ben he goes everywhere with me oh i mean he's
2: like my sober beacon um <laughs> I, I'm, you Take know what back. i just i wanted to throw you off there for a minute because i saw the picture of that i go. i gotta give him shit about that poodle it's yeah. a gi-
0: and it's a giant poodle things a beast well, let me tell you about you know the stigma of alcoholics, and you know we're hoping to change that. The stigma for poodles is slowly changing as well. I was at a hockey tournament in, in Montana, right? And there's a bunch of manly hunter dudes. I don't hunt personally, but we were all we were all packing up after hockey games, and there were three standard poodles. we are like, "Is that your poodle?" Like, "Yeah." Is "That your poodle?" "Yeah." "Oh, sweet man." And we we're and they were talking about how their poodles are, are really good hunting dogs. And seriously, the breeder where I got my poodle from. All hunters. That's all she sells her poodles to. I mean, they're super smart. Um, they also don't drink, so that helps. Um, yep. Tried try to feed it a beer one time when I was drinking and spit it up. So he's my sober buddy.
2: I love it. That's fantastic. Now, listen, Paul, we're pretty warmed up here, and in a minute I'm gonna let you go and I want you to tell us your story. But I just want you to tell us a little bit about what other than the podcast. What's your recovery routine look like? Meeting, sponsorship, sponsee, service, that kind of a thing. Great
0: question. Oh, and I heard this today on an interview that I did with somebody else. I'm going to use it from here on out. You're more than welcome to as well. It's called my recovery portfolio. And reason number 685 why I did the podcast is because I made it to two and a half years of sobriety from 2010 to 2012 and a half. And what happened was just what I was talking about. I was in a job. I'd finished grad school and things just got busy. And my addiction started talking to me in my own voice. It was like, you know what, dude, we've been we've been sober for two and a half years. We've gone to a couple meetings. meetings. Uh, we got this. We're not an alcoholic. So my recovery portfolio after the going two and a half years, I drank. And so I jumped into AA. I made it like another 10 months. I didn't get a sponsor, but I was doing the AA you know, a bunch of meetings a week and, and adding more to my recovery portfolio. But I kept drinking. And then it got to the point in 2014. I couldn't stop drinking. If I started, it might be four or five days after I stopped. You just didn't know. And so my recovery portfolio consists of in no particular order, right? AA, I've got a sponsor. I'm currently at the tail end of that dreaded long four step. <laughs> you know, I've got the podcast. And I have this new network. So the 12th step of pretty much any 12-step program is working with other alcoholics. doesn't matter what step you're on. You can still do that step. So that right now, this is part of my portfolio is doing this interview with you. It's working on Facebook with other alcoholics, people that I've never met across the entire world. A lot of it is other podcasts. You've got a killer podcast. And I'm not just saying it because I'm on your podcast. (laughs) Oh, I'm definitely not. Thank you, sir. Um, there's some good stuff out there online, right? You know, there's this big book, it's blue. It's called the Big Book. Um, it's There's some good stuff in there. I read that often. Uh, it, it, but the the best thing it's just the affirmation of of my portfolio of recovery is just keep reminding myself. Like there's so many silly cliches like one day at a time. But in the end, man, I'm gonna be an alcoholic tomorrow. Um, but this time around, oh, I have embraced so much more, and especially like the diet and the nutrition component, not because I want chiseled abs for those beaches down at Haco, Costa Rica, <laughs> which I know you frequent um, man it's for my mental mental well being that dome upstairs, I got to be feeling good if i'm eating good food and getting my exercise, get those endorphins going it's a lot easier to stay sober
2: Wow, man, that recovery portfolio. I love it. And yes, I'm going to be using that because it is, it's so important. You know, you open up that portfolio, and if there's nothing in there, buddy, that's just like any other portfolio, any other stock portfolio. What's in here? Nothing. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the fact that, you know, keeping that accountability by looking at, you know, what have I got in my portfolio? And it doesn't really matter, you know, where I am in the steps, where I am in my recovery. What I have today can help someone else. I may be right in the middle of my fourth step, but I got a guy that just walked in a week ago, and he's just—he hasn't even started his first step yet. So I absolutely have something that I can share with this guy, and I can help him. And that's where you're at, man. That's absolutely fantastic. And and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna remember that that terminology because, you know, when I think about what's in my portfolio, there's quite a bit in there. You know, I mean, after you know, 12 years of, of being. In, you know, and I'm in multiple 12 step programs. You know, I'm in NA. I started NA and I, I do a lot more AA now for no particular reason. It's just like, you know, I feel there's certain meanings and there's certain groups where i just feel at home and you know when that happens you know i want to come back i get addicted to it right and that's all part of my portfolio on top of the podcast and reaching out i love the whole facebook thing too like we do that you know because of because of the opportunity we have with the podcast and being in social media we're connecting with all these people all over the world that we never would have connected with they're helping us and we're helping them so it's beautiful man i love it
0: yeah, a hundred percent. And I even like the analogy you said of a portfolio, like a stock market portfolio. In two thousand and ten on so January thirty first, two thousand and nine, I decided to just get shit faced. I made out with a girl whom the next day I was like, Man, we definitely need to quit drinking. Right. <laughs> and so for two and a half years I would open up my leather bound portfolio and all there was inside of it was a post it note that said, Don't drink. Oh and that- that was my portfolio for two and a half years because there was just the shame and stigma of being labeled as an alcoholic. Oh, I, I, I was not an alcoholic, bud, because I, I didn't drink. And but it, so, I mean, all it was, that was my plan. I didn't drink. It was only the physical component that I was addressing, but my mind is still pretty, you know, pretty messed up. And I wasn't addressing any of that. So, after I relapse in a journey, I'm just jamming that leather-bound portfolio and when just like bustling out because I, I mean I have to stay sober. That's where it's
2: at. Love it. All right. So now it's time for me to sh- to turn this show over to you, Paul. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life, when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Paul, take it away.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, my beast is alcohol. There were a lot of drugs in there and I'm going to just throw that out there because that's a lot of prescription drugs for antidepressants and anti-anxiety agents that I probably never needed to be taking because alcohol is sure as shit wasn't the problem. No, it was my depression. It was my anxiety. I was not an alcoholic. So for five, six, seven, eight years, yeah, I was taking a lot of drugs but thank goodness, you know, drugs like heroin and cocaine, those are just yets, shall I say. Those didn't happen yet, I believe. Um, you know, my my beast of burden, you know, my <laughs> my beast was alcohol. Yep. I freaking loved it. Uh, my first drink, I was 13 years old, and there was four of us. We shoulder tapped. We all threw up. Um, but God, oh, when I first had it, dude, I, I mean— Life was right again. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, for like two, we were playing Mario Kart and I was good at Mario <laughs> Kart. I mean, obviously I wasn't good. I was just like crushing into the brick walls and not scoring any points in Mario Kart. But I felt so good while driving Mario Kart drunk. It was this amazing feeling. I was a new kid. I moved to Colorado. and moved, moved from Utah. There's just like full of Mormons. Nothing wrong with that. But I was non-Mormon. I just felt like an outcast. But I had that first drink Oh. And life was okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Life was okay for about an hour and a half till my mom picked me up. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it, man. I mean, it it was on, and it, it wasn't like I was an alcoholic after the first drink. But there had always been a quest after that—a quest for for booze. And and oh, guess what happens when I can booze? I can I can talk to girls, and girls liked me. They would hang out with me, and that was just the quest after that. But I was a normal drinker. Uh, I was a normal drinker, I think, for probably seven to eight years. You know, the later years, that's where it was progressing. But I mean, I graduated college with a drinking problem. Looking back, 100%, I graduated drinking problem. But I was a normal drinker. It just slowly phased into this addiction right but that addiction is always one lap ahead of you it's always making the turn and you can't see it but it's the weirdest thing because your your, your addiction is always in front of you but it's always in the back seat too talking to you in your own voice oh that's for sure god it, it, it's just like hey man like you know we got a party tomorrow or you know we got a test tomorrow but there's a pretty sweet party tonight and sure like i'd still make it to class and do that stuff but i was on my way to becoming an alcoholic very I mean very soon and I feel fortunate enough oh that I'm 33 and I'm gonna be dealing with this thing called alcoholism my entire life but I'd rather have this disease than something else I will actually get into that later in this podcast you know maybe in this interview but I'd rather have this where the solution is although not as clear as a post-it Nordic portfolio saying not drink it's there is a solution and, and it can be a lot of fun but back to that story Really where the recipe for disaster hit was me being an entrepreneur. I graduated college, and within a week after graduating college, I had the idea of going and opening up a bar in Spain. I love uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is, like, sometimes you get these ideas, and, and I actually do them. And God darn it. you know. Not everybody and I, I does up.
2: them, man. Not everybody does them. You know, you did it. <laughs> it, it did me in the long run, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah,
0: I, I did it to start. So I went all the way out to Spain, keep in mind with a drinking problem, to buy a bar. And that's what I did. Me and a Spaniard owned a bar called Dolce Vita in Granada, Spain. Um, and Great then name. next, what's that? Great name. Oh, yeah. What, what does that mean? It's not Spanish, though. What does it mean?
2: I don't know. It just sounds very cool. Oh, it, what's called is like it means. Isn't sweet it Italian? Life. It, it is, a, yeah, a sweet life in Italian, but it's okay. kind of like
0: dulce vita, dulce vida, I guess. Yeah, yeah,
2: dul, yeah dulce vida. That's in dulce. Spanish. Would be sweet life.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and uh, it's, and so that was my identity, man. Like I got out there, worked out a couple kinks in the bar. Right, we were, it, it, you a couple changes had to be made, and all of a sudden we we're like this raging, profitable party bar. And, you know, if girls were dancing on the bar, they got a free shot. We're directing a lot of traffic to the after hours parties and clubs. You know, money, just cash was flowing in. And I thought it was normal that, you know, I was like, hey, look, I'm 23, 24 years old. I should be blacking out six nights. No, let's go seven nights a week. I should be (laughs) blacking out, right? Um, Sun coming up. Of course, I'm supposed to go to bed when the sun's coming up. That's just normal. But, oh, like that's all borrowed time because that type of drinking, it all catches up to you. And, and so the first couple years, I would go home in the summer and kind of hit the reboot. The whole geographical cure would do its job. I'd go back home, physically recuperate, literally like the ulcers would heal. Thank you, mom, do her home cooking. I'd get my job back, you know, like I would get back onto this routine, this schedule I get physically back into shape, see my old friends, and then I go back to Spain. And the last year I was out to Spain, I started – it was like a nine-month just ass-kicking where I made it to – I think it was – yeah, I made it to February. And I I would wake up in the morning. Uh, I'd go to to bed blacked out probably around 4 a.m. And I'd wake up at 6 a.m. when the, the store across the street would open. And I would go across the street. I would get a box full of wine. Two canned beers all for like a dollar ten. How beautiful is that. What? Yeah, no kidding. Euros. So it's probably like a dollar thirty, whatever. Oh. But I'd come back, I would chug a box full of wine, microwave two beers, because they were cold. I could drink the beer faster if it was warm and chug it and go right back to bed. Now, this is not leisure drinking. It's not. Like I just couldn't sleep unless I was buzzed or totally drunk. I kid mean, could, I couldn't sleep buzzed. I had to be totally shit faced to sleep. So that's that's where it kind of came, and, and I was one of those days I was just having anxiety. It just started building and building and building, and I, could, I couldn't stop drinking. I was drinking hard alcohol, and finally it was like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I just, or like 6 or 7, ran down, got in a cab. I'm just like, go to the hospital. I'm having a heart attack, which turned out to be an anxiety attack, and an attack is something, right? But uh, And that, uh, that was an eye-opener because the anxiety after that, it was kind of there to stay regardless if maybe it was irreversible. I don't know. But anxiety is terrible. When that's your identity is I'm a bar owner in Spain. Like, of course, I've got to be drinking with my clientele. It's a write-off, right? I have to. It, it, I mean, it, of course, I had a plan after, after my uh, stint in the emergency room where, where, the, where the miracle doctor just gave me a Xanax. It's like, all right, kid, get, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, you know, you, you personally have sent over 50 people in his emergency room because you've overserved served them, so you can get the hell out here, kid.
2: Um, can I get a couple of those to go, please? Yeah, seriously. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, uh, I'll call it a pill. So, yeah, and I had this plan. I'm like, okay, anxiety, i just quit drinking, man. So I made it like four or five days, and I would drink like, I think, eight to nine or ten Red Bulls that, during those nights. Completely unhealthy behavior, and guess what happened? I own a bar. I am an alcoholic. I drank again, so just got the shit kicked out of me all the way um, by alcohol, right? All the way till I left, and I made a very smart decision in two thousand. You know, and and we just in two thousand eight just left. I straight up just told my told my business partner, I'm like, hey man, if you sell it, great. Give me give me some money. If not, like I'm I'm done because I was straight up killing my. I I wouldn't have not made it. I would not have made it out alive. I got to the point, you know, I I, I had seizures like on the very minor ones, but the worst part was auditory hallucinations. It's where I guess if you drink enough, you can see and hear things that just aren't there. And I had auditory hallucinations. I would listen to the Braveheart soundtrack before I went to bed, you know, like seven months in a row, walk home, blacked out. I'm like, all right, William Wallace, here we go. Just press play. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a great movie too, right? It's the best. yeah, fall asleep like imagining myself, you know, biting, fighting in Scotland and stuff like that. Dude, and uh, yeah, I remember this flight back across the Atlantic. I'm looking out the window, being like, "All right, alcohol, see you later, buddy." Like, you are not coming with me. But holy shit, where in the hell is William Wallace? Like, he's on this airplane with me. I had auditory. I heard I heard that soundtrack for three and a half weeks. Like in America, I was like looking under benches. I'd be, hey, mom. Did you put on the London Symphony Orchestra again? Because I swear I heard the soundtrack. It was scary. It was really scary, yo. Dude, just bad shape. Did you get the DTs? I did. I did. I did. Yeah. I mean, I mean but none of it was, um, I had a couple, I had a friend kind of help me out with it, but none of it, like I didn't go to an ER to, uh, to detox or anything. And, and alcohol is one of the most dangerous drugs to detox off, man. Looking yes. back, how stupid. Risky, risky,
2: risky shit. Yeah, there's there's actual statistics. I don't know what they are, but as far as coming off of drugs, alcohol is one that if you, if you don't properly detox from it, can
0: kill you. I, I've I've heard it's the most dangerous. I've heard it's the one of the only ones that can kill you. Yeah, but um, you know, fortunately, I didn't. It didn't happen. I made it back. You know, but the whole ism, which is an incredibly short memory, part of the disease of being a drunk, being an alcoholic, started to kick in. Right, so I'm back home living with the mom, the pop. Guess what? They got two poodles. Also, we're having a great time <laughs> in the mountains of Colorado. Zip it oh. <laughs> Stop your laughing. We can't all we, we, we can't all have spider monkeys and, and beautiful waves and, and hako beaches and stuff, buddy. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you're like, oh look, there's there's a beautiful gecko in my backyard. We've, we've we have gopher snakes and, and poodles out here, buddy. I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, I got it right. I'm in Colorado in, in late 2000s, and you know, I, I'm I'm still drinking a lot. But I had these plans in place. Oh, I had these plans that like I'm only gonna drink three nights a week. But but shit, those happen fast. I could never wait till the end of the week to drink. It'd be like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Shit, I gotta be sober, and I'd stick to these plans. And, you know, at Colorado, the drinking just kept, you know, going on more and more and more. So then grad school, I was like, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to go to grad school, right? That's going to nip the drinking in the butt. I'm going to get professional. My life's going to get back on track. Went to, uh, you know, went to Washington. And before I got into grad school, and before it started, I did a smart thing. I was like, you know what? I think alcohol is having a negative impact in my life. I mean, I think it was it was definitely having a negative impact in my life. So I quit. In 2010, I mean, it wasn't like this fiery bottom at that moment, but I was smart enough to see where this was going. Well, I don't want to say smart enough because that's that's that doesn't mean if you, if you quit drinking, you're smart. If you don't quit drinking, you're dumb. That has nothing to do with this. But I decided to give it a go. Man, it felt pretty good for a month, so I decided to go two months, and I just rocked that plan, that portfolio of not drinking for two and a half years. But I'm not an alcoholic. Oh. come on. Don't, don't, don't give me that. Don't give me that jazz. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> not, if you go, not
2: if you can go two and a half years.
0: No way, man. Like, you know, I got a buddy who, who didn't drink for Lent. He's not an alcoholic. Get out of town, man. He's good. So <laughs> made it two and a half years. But gosh, it, this is where the whole beast of alcoholism, it, it just, this, this line I heard one time, I was like, if that's the case, I'm done. It's like. You know, you're an alcoholic if when you quit drinking, your life doesn't get better. And that is a conundrum that's so effing baffling. Oh, but you know, I, my life got better. I was on a pink cloud, but after like a year and a year and a half, I was like, oh shit, like what is wrong with me, right? I should be so, I am sober, but like life should be getting better. And this is where it gets interesting. And I made a, I made you know a classic rookie mistake. I went to an AA meeting with a friend, kind of by accident. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I've been sober for two years. I'm not an alcoholic, but I will go to support you." <laughs> so, I um, love it. Yeah. And uh, this is the classic rookie mistake. I listened to the differences, not the similarities. Just in that meeting, it was like a drunkalog, right? I heard, I heard bankruptcy, prison, fiery car wrecks, DUIs bankrupt, like all this stuff, divorce. And those were all the yets that I hadn't really experienced yet. Right. And so I walked out and I was like, holy shit, this is the best day of my life. There's no way I'm an alcoholic because I don't have any of that stuff. I probably don't even have a drinking problem. Um. Yeah, dude, I think like two nights later, three or four nights later, I drank after almost two and a half years. And at the end of that night, it was after two o'clock, gas stations were closed, I was I was googling on my left hand side of the computer. I had rubbing alcohol. My right side, I had hydrogen peroxide. I was googling which one I could drink to keep the buzz going that wouldn't do the most damage to my body.
2: And Unbelievable. That, that's not is that normal? I don't
0: I, I don't know. That's I don't think f- it is.
2: No, no, <laughs> it's far <laughs> from <up>. normal.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's fucked up.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, so I I was like, all right, dude, it's humbling, man. Like ah, oh, God, the best day of my life is not not true. I do still have a drinking problem. So that got the wheels going, right? Like, okay, I, need, I was doing the right thing. But I, I lasted like three months sober, drank. Drank a couple times on a trip. Where was I? Oh, Belize. And you'll like this. I actually tried to sober up. Um, I did the same thing, copy and paste, 2013. On January, th- yeah, December 31st, 2012, I was in San Jose, Costa Rica. Awesome. And I was like, dude, that a pretty cool town, actually. It's really cool. And went out to this club didn't even really get that drunk but I was done drinking the next day January 1st 2013 I made it 10 months I decided to quit I made it 10 months I drank dude I drank and that is where like an eight month binge went on almost a year-long binge went on because I mean I say binge it wasn't straight I would get like 30 days of sobriety and then you know I'd, I'd I'd be at a bar and some girl would be like hey you want a shot and just be before I could even be like dude you've you're, you've been sober for 30 some odd days like, yep let's go hands on let's do this and just throwing days of sobriety out and, and it got to the point of like well shit I have four days of sobriety you know whatever just case the efforts and I couldn't get sober and then the first yet happened I got a DUI while driving to work at like four o'clock in the afternoon how cool is that wow. not cool yeah man and like Dude, I – oh, I'm going to throw it out on your podcast because th- this came out today, September 21st on my own podcast. You know, man, it got so bad that I, I got to a point where the fear of me not being able to beat drinking was so much. And I was like – I was taking benzos because you sometimes benzos can kick you from the booze long enough. You just got to quit the benzos afterward as well. So I, I'm doing these benzos like two weeks or three weeks after my DUI. And an idea pops into my head, literally like you know, so spontaneous, an idea like you and your buddies, you're like, hey man, you want some ice cream? Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. This idea popped into my head, it was like, dude, we're not gonna be able to beat this, let's just end it. <laughs> and budge yeah. Omar, or oh yeah. like I, I heard that idea, and I looked around and I was like, Yeah, that's my best option right now. And so Dude, I guzzled like ten more volumes or Xanax or whatever. I mean, threw them down and and another like eighty to ninety pills. There's no note. Oh, there's there's nothing glorious about this. I I said said goodbye to this poodle Ben, man, and I gave it a go, dude. Like I was done. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, and it wasn't like a half-assed attempt, like for you know for attention. I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I was just. I like accidentally tried to commit suicide is what I say, because I was on so many benzos. You're not even thinking properly that this idea was like, dude, let's just end it, man. That's going to be the best way to, to get through this. Was like, well, shit, Paul, that that's a great idea. Ooh. Fuck man, it, dude. I mean, and it wasn't like I woke up the next day and, and called my mom and my brother. I woke up the next day and I was just like, oh, fuck, dude. Like I'm still, you know, like I didn't, you know, I didn't jump up in the air and, like oh my god I'm alive like I just yeah I, I was like damn it man like I'm still in this fight I still have things to do today that I don't want to do and I'm still I'm still gonna have to not drink yeah that was not my sobriety date by any means but that got real man that that got real because I mean in an instant had that a worked you know like I'm I like to think I'm good at a lot of things I'm. Glad I'm not good at suicide, but had it worked, man, like that's over. That's it. It's done. And, and, and you know, there's, there's no glory in that. I would have crushed everybody, my parents, my brother. and That's it. It's done. That, that's it. So that's kind of, that, that was a severity of it. And, and um, yeah, I mean, there were, there were definitely some some lows on there. And like, like a month after my DUI, I'm driving uphill drunk up this mountain with a broken taillight. I mean I mean it is just ludicrous. And my plan, cuz we've all got plans, is like, hey, if I see a police officer if there's a police officer behind me, I'm simply going to pull off the road and let gravity stop me. I'm not going to tap the brakes. Gravity will stop me so I won't show
2: them that I've got a broken taillight. Like how how ridiculous is that, oh? That is I mean the most classic and priceless alcohol addict type thinking. It's textbook yeah. Yeah. It's absolute it, it, textbook. That's what we think. <laughs> That's exactly what goes through our mind. Stupid, stupid things that we think are genius in the moment. It's textbook, just like you said. And it,
0: and, and, and so it was later that actually that same night I was drinking on the job and the same job that I got a DUI going to do I go into and something hit me. This was August 29th. Something hit me, man. I was like, you know what? I am done. I am so done with this. I'm going to rehab. Like, I'm I am giving up. I am just going to completely surrender. You know, screw all those mottos. Like, just do it. And no pain and no gain. You know, whoever came up with those, they are not addicts by any means. So I was done, and I, I made a call to go to rehab. Long story short, you know, nobody picked up that phone call. And when they did, I realized, like, oh, God, this, this moment is not about me. It can wait another day. And that day, oh, something was different. Um, and that actually was not my sobriety day. I drank one more time after that, but something had changed internally. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote you, my HP baby, it <laughs> came alive. I'm serious, man. It's, that was the moment where yeah. just something was different. And I had my last drink, and I think I poured it out, man. And I'm, I don't. It's, it's like why isn't it so clear? Everything is such a fog and so hazy. But I remember I went camping. And I was drinking and I'm like, dude, I can't do this. And I just dumped it out and left. Um, And that was on September 6th and September 7th. That was it. And fast forward a a little bit, like the suicide thing scared the shit out of me. Like I am going to do everything in my power not to go back to that mindset and a relapse, oh, you can probably agree with this. A relapse happens way before we take that first drink. Am I right? No question about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I was like, okay, dude, we've been, we've been sober for two and a half years. We've been sober for 10 months. We've been sober for three months. Something's got to change. Your portfolio has got to change. And so I really got into AA. I went to three meetings, three meetings a day. Yeah. For like three, you know, for three weeks and then to two, then back to, and, and, and and that's where I, the idea of the podcast came like during that struggling, because there was sober nation that has a block. Like I'm not much of a reader. I like to read, but I'm like, man, if, if these guys had a podcast, right. And and there just wasn't that much out there on it. I love podcasts. And so that's where I came up with the idea of recovery elevator was to keep me accountable and add to my portfolio. Oh, like, if nobody listened to my podcast except myself and my mom, and I'm still sober a year later, like, dude, I mean, it's totally worth it. It's a win. Yeah, you know, oh, total win, total win. You know, spent you know spent money on a microphone, a mixer, and, and but I'm so who cares, right? Who cares? But it's something that you and I owe are extremely passionate about. I love the podcast, and it's working. It's keeping me sober, man. And here I am, like, you, you know, like the solution. There's a lot more to my solution, but gosh, my portfolio is growing. And and I'm talking to a dude named O who's probably got a pet monkey, right? Absolutely. Like a ball python just cruising around down there, maybe a rosy boa or something like that. But this would never happen without these podcasts. And you and I, I mean, we're we're having a conversation that's going to help you stay sober and help me stay sober. And and you got 11 years, but you also know how volatile, volatile the situation this is, right? Oh, yeah. It's just one day at a time, buddy. We only have a daily reprieve. That's it yeah it is it's humbling, but man and and I love it man that's it, it, where I'm at right now and it, to say today is okay, it is, but overall it's, it's so much better
2: I love it, man, and that's your story and i'm I don't wanna stick to it <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i you know what I had eleven years when I started the podcast. I celebrated twelve years you know after the podcast launched, so it's it's another one of those wonderful gifts. This podcast has allowed me to connect with my program. It's it's allowed me to take it to another level, and I know this because just like what you were talking about in your story, that accountability that you needed was the podcast. You know, you could not stay sober on your own. Uh, the, the meetings themselves were not what was going to keep you sober. You needed something. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, whatever it takes is whatever it takes. And if this is this is your way of of connecting. And now, dude, you just celebrated a year and you've been putting out an episode, you know, every week since you launched the podcast. We we launched our podcast at the same exact time. And like I told you earlier, I've been tracking your recovery, bro you know, because we're in this together. All right. This is, this is what we do. We're part of the same community and, you know, we cannot do this alone. We have to do this together. There is safety in numbers, my brother.
0: You're a hundred percent correct. Oh, and I wish that this podcast had launched when I was in the middle of my fight, man, and my daily struggle. Cause The logo looks good. And what's behind the logo? It's a genuine dude with a great message that would help me get sober. And I'm not just saying that, oh, because I'm on your show right now. I've heard your podcast. It's good stuff, man. And I'm so glad that I'm on it right now. And I'm so glad to have you on my podcast. Everything you're saying, dude, we can't do this alone. Dude, you've you've got it dialed in.
2: Well, uh, not for nothing, bro. But, you know, after being in recovery, for, for 12 years does afford me a few luxuries, right? And when you've got... I have never gone more than a week without going to a meeting in 12 years. And that's, that's not something that I'm bragging about. It's something that, for me, I have to do it. I need to do that. Like, you were talking earlier in your story about, man, if I could pick a disease, this is the one, right? Like, yeah. I don't have... You know any other kind? I don't have cancer, and I don't have you know diabetes, and I don't have these other diseases that you know require medication for me to to stay alive, right? I have something. The only thing I have to do is not drink or use, right? And I also have to carry a message because if I don't carry a message. You know, eventually I will go back out and I will drink. You know, I'm I'm for me, and I'm just speaking for me personally. You know, a lot of where this this podcast came from is because I know I have to carry this message of hope to the still suffering addict and alcoholic. You know, or or else, you know, I can't be selfish with this. You know, in the beginning, in the beginning, you have to be selfish. You know, in your first year of recovery, it's all about you going to meetings, working the steps, having a sponsor, staying away from people, places and things, getting that recovery foundation going and all, and it has to be about you. But once you've got it, man, you got to give it away. You got to give it back. You know what I'm saying? Ah,
0: dude, with the 11 years, I mean, or 12 years, sorry. You're like, you're like Gandalf to me right now, you know? (laughs) But the, the, seriously, man, Costa Rican Gandalf up there on, uh, you know, Lake Haka or whatnot. But um sorry, it's way off. But, you know, but it's different with us because you've got the staff instead of saying like thou shall not pass, man, you're saying like, hey, come on. Like you are like, I want you here with me. And that's the message that you're that you're portraying. And it's
2: awesome. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I was very excited when we dis- when we talked Hey man you want to be on the show yeah I know you're about to come up on a year, so let's do this and you're like, dude, I was just thinking about you. you're on my whiteboard for uh people to interview, so you know we're right there we're we we were connected before we were even connected, man and that's h p baby
0: it, it is and we were talking earlier about the beauty of this of how we're connected and oh i'm i I don't, I don't want to flatter you right now, but when I first heard your podcast like i was I was intimidated, and we talked a little about earlier. You know your guests and how long they've been sober. I, I know I'm the one that's got the least amount of sobriety, so I, I don't want to uh, taint, <laughs> taint the level, you know, the notch on the old totem pole. But, yeah, like when you emailed me and said, hey, congrats, congrats on a year of sobriety, I'm like, oh, dude, it's, it's oh, I've made it. <laughs> <You> know. Like, <laughs> oh, it's just private message me. dude. I mean, it's, it's so cool that, that I'm on your podcast right now. It means the world to me. It really does.
2: Well, listen, bro, like I told you, I've been tracking your recovery because I've been tracking your podcast, you know, and listening to your guests. And it's basically, if you're listening to the guys you interview and the guys I interview, we've all got the same story, man. Rock hard bottoms. We couldn't escape any of those. We we had to hit the bottoms that we had to hit. And then we had to find our journey into recovery. So it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or whether you're a truck driver or a nurse or whatever, it doesn't matter. We've all been through that 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 horrible pit of despair where we needed help and we couldn't do it alone, right? And ultimately, we found recovery and that's what that's what we're doing, brother. We're sharing our experience, strength and hope with everybody and it's awesome.
0: It's a passion. It is. It, it is. This is. And I got to keep it going too. I I can only imagine, you know, you've got twelve years of, of sobriety on your end, because we might even be launch launch brothers here. Oh, I have yeah, no idea, because you, could well, you're like February twenty third. I got to check iTunes when I launch. I know mine's the end of end of February, but you're like this floozy has been sober for four and a half months, and he's launching a podcast. Like, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm gonna have a front row seat watching this dude crash and burn. Like, that's not what you want, obviously, but like the numbers say that's yeah. what's gonna happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly was not. You know, I hope, you know, watch this guy crash and burn. My first thought was just like, wow, this, he's taking a big risk. He's taking a big risk in his first year recovery because I've been down this road. I've been doing, I relapsed, you know, five months after, you know, I got clean and sober the first time, man. And I remember what it was like to pick myself up, dust myself off, and then drag my ass back into a meeting, humble myself and say, I've got one day, you know, and then the the horrible, the, those first six months after that were just miserable. So I know what I know what that's I know what that's like. But it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know what's what's important is that we're here right now in this moment, just for today. That's what's important.
0: Yeah, you know I know you're asking the questions, but I'm real curious myself. Has relapse been a part of your story 12 years ago or more?
2: Yes, absolutely. And thank God it was only that one time. I had five months and I'll, I'll go into that when, when I'm on your show and we talk about, you know, how that went down. You can ask me, but yes, relapse was, you know, five months into my recovery. I was on a pink cloud. I, I thought I had this thing, you know, five months in, I thought I got this thing. And, you know, I'm even telling people, you know, how to work the steps. And, you know, yeah. I was out of my mind, you know, I was just like, I wanted to rewrite the big book and, you know, <laughs> I want you know, there was a quicker way to work the steps. It was just lunacy. Right. And, and sure. I didn't see the kind of runaway train that I had become because I had kind of become addicted to recovery. But again, it was all ego-based instead of recovery-based. And uh, I wasn't taking the suggestions that I should have been taking. And ultimately, I relapsed. And I relapsed for about two months. And it was just miserable. And I remember every day that I was out there using, I was thinking about the meetings. Uh So, So there I was going, you know, like rock star partying and I'm like, dude, I got to go tomorrow. I got to go to a meeting and I got to turn myself in and I got to (laughs) talk to my sponsor and I, I should probably call him right now. And these are the conversations I'm having in my head while I'm, you know, drinking and using. And finally I was like, well, I'm done. Yep. I can't, I can't even enjoy being high anymore. This damn recovery thing has ruined it for me. Ah, I've heard that before. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
0: It does. It, It ruins it when you go out and drink again.
2: Yeah, and that was it. That was you know that was my stint in recover and in, in with relapse. You know, and and I know that, I mean, coming into the rooms. I mean, like for you taking it seriously, it was probably the last time you came in, right? The last yeah. Time. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Huh. But how many times did you try and just dry? You know, just go dry. Oh
0: man. Uh, yeah. I mean, two two and a half years, but just straight up dry. Oh, go two AA dry. Oh yeah. I'd probably been in those meetings maybe sixty, seventy times. You know, I, I, could, I could probably name the first and the last step, but everything in the middle was just like lettuce, mayo, and whatever, you know, steps. wouldn't penetrate because I wasn't ready to hear it. All right.
2: Well, listen, speaking of which, let's close up here. Let's do, you know, my favorite part of the show, which is the newcomer part, where I ask you five questions about your early recovery, and you are going to respond with inspiring and insightful answers that you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? Oh, let's do it. I love it. Number one which is part of what we were just talking about. What was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery?
0: Well, oh, there were about a thousand reasons, but I've narrowed it down to three. Number one was the shame and the stigma. My first AA meeting, I had like a hooded sweatshirt on. I was, I think I was dan- like prancing between pine tree and pine tree just didn't want to be seen. So there was that whole component like, hey, man, I just saw a Bud Light Super Bowl commercial. Something's wrong with me if I can't drink. The second one was my addiction is lying to me in my own voice. It would always convince me, hey, dude, it'll be different this time. Never was. And the third
2: reason, I just wasn't ready, Oh, That's it. Perfect. I can relate to so much of that, man. I love it. All right. And number two. At what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? I'll expand
0: a little bit more on it. August 29th of 2014, I called a friend. I made that Hail Mary call, picked up that thousand pound phone. And I called, and I'm working, right? And I didn't care about anything with work. I'm like, look, you got to come get me. I drove up here drunk. i got a broken taillight. I'm going to rehab. And there was no, just in my voice, they're like, I'll be right there. <laughs> and on the way down, I'm like crying. I'm like, no, I'm going to rehab. You know, it's, it's not funny, but I was ready to go. You know, when I, the people I was, I was calling my parents, they didn't pick up. But something had changed. That was my hate. My HP was there. And the next day, I woke up and felt an ease, a calm, because my HP was with me.
2: Man, I was ready to do it. It's amazing, and I don't think I've gone into this too much on the interviews, but there is that feeling, like when, and the the reason why I asked the question too, it's like that that aha moment that you feel, but it's all, it's that spiritual awakening, really, because you feel that kind of warmness that. God is surrounding you. And at the moment, like for me, I don't think I identified with it or I could, my head was clear enough to say, you know, oh, God is here or, I, or my HP is present. But I do remember not thinking in that moment and just mm-hmm. feeling, right? I felt for the first time a feeling of hope and it, and it catapults you. And I remember one interview I had with Sergeant Sober, Clay Cutts. And he said, "You know what? That fleeting moment—it's exactly that fleeting. So what he tells people is, when you get that feeling, act on it immediately. All right, because in five minutes, it's gone.
0: Yeah, you know. Cool. And,
2: and thank God for us—we just we just acted on those feelings. So I love it. And um, so, Paul, tell us: Do you have a favorite book you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery?" Yeah,
0: in two thousand and ten, the day after
2: I decided to quit drinking on that
0: New Year's, I read a book called Beyond the Influence by Catherine Ketchum. It's not really like twelve based, twelve step based. It's just a book that outlines what the hell alcohol is doing to your body, like why you get addicted to it. And I sat there in the Barnes and in a Barnes and Noble in Northgate Mall, Seattle, while the Owl City Fireflies soundtrack was just on repeat, miserable, detoxing but it was sinking in very slowly and i just stayed there for a couple hours read it the next day i read more pages finished the book in like 3 weeks but you know at the end i really only read the paragraphs i wanted to read you know i still wasn't an alcoholic but <laughs> <laughs> that that book
2: definitely uh was an eye opener it'll be in the show notes folks <laughs> <laughs> all right mm-hmm. number 4 what is the best suggestion you have ever received
0: somebody uh Gosh, it was just like, "Hey, it's so basic." You know, everybody's there. There's questionnaires, there's checklists. Do you know? Do I have a drinking problem? If you've ever wondered you have a drinking problem, you probably have a drinking problem, Paul. (laughs) Damn it!
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's 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 almost like that one where they tell you if you're out in public and you run into an asshole, right? then yep. he might be an asshole. All right. Mm-hmm. If you keep going through your day and you run into two or three more assholes, you're the asshole. <laughs> totally. I love that I love that one too. It's I do. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Right. <laughs> and number 5, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would that be?
0: Man, I've already said it earlier is listen to the similarities and not the differences. For example, on this podcast, you're like, dude, this guy Paul my name is not Paul and I definitely don't have a lame poodle named Ben. <laughs> uh, just kidding, Ben. My, my Ben listens to all the podcasts. Yeah, I, I love you, Ben. Um, it,
2: it, it just get real with yourself. That's it. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Great suggestions, Paul. And before we say goodbye, I have one more question for you. Of all the meetings you have attended anywhere in the world, which group is your favorite and where is that group located?
0: Oh, my gosh. That is a fantastic question. I'm going to go with man i was in one in cusco peru in 2000 this year and they're so raw man they're like in cusco peru i mean if you have if you're an alcoholic dude they're gonna call it like the witch doctors there's something really wrong with you according to that culture so the people that are in those rooms they're really
2: serious about recovery and yeah i was in cusco peru i love it man i actually did hear that interview right that's pretty heavy how much time did you have when you were in peru Ah oh, man. I, I think that time, like six months, five or six months. Yeah. Wild, dude. You know what? Expect a miracle. I mean, you can do, if you're sober, you can do anything. That's, I believe it 100%. Yeah, man, I'm right on board. If, if Gandalf the O
0: says it, then I'm, I believe it. <laughs>
2: I'm on board. You're I'm serious. I believe you're killing it. me. All <laughs> right. We have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Pura Vida, oh.